Okay, are you ready to get into the word? Sure. Thanks for that, George. That was good. Acts chapter 5. Wait a minute, you say, we're going backwards. We were in chapter 6 last week. No, uh, I skipped a part last week um, in order to teach something that, um, that worked, that, that I felt like was going to be good for the kids as well. Although, hey, this one's kind of fun for the kids too. So maybe I missed that. Maybe we're just going out of order for no reason. Acts chapter 5, verse 34 through the end of the chapter. Lord, we're asking for your grace as we study your word today. Um, help us to, to approach this in a correctable and a teachable attitude. Many of us have been believers for a long time. We got ideas. We think we know stuff. But Holy Spirit, we are allowing you to speak afresh and teach us new things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, we have the apostles, all 12 of them, in the chamber of the Sanhedrin. They've been dragged before the, the ruling uh, leaders. They're in trouble for speaking in the name of Jesus, even though they were told not to. Uh, they were in prison during the night, and then the Lord set them free and sent them back to the temple. They were preaching again. Um, the whole town is in uh, is very enthralled with what's going on. Their attention has been caught by this big publicity stunt of putting them all in jail, and now they're all not in jail. And so they get brought back to the Sanhedrin. Peter gives a very short message, again, pointing the finger at the the chief priests and the leaders saying, you killed him, you killed him, and they are ticked. They are done. They've heard enough from these clowns. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him right now. They're all dead. Verse 33 says, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. They were in a rage. And then we pick up in verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, he stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, men of Israel, he's talking to the Sanhedrin now, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined with him, but he was killed and all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men, let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But... If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice. That's probably the most remarkable part of this whole passage. <laughs> they took his advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Not exactly what he said, but uh, they, they flogged them and ordered them to speak in the, uh, not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. 
So they, the apostles, went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Who is this uh, Gamaliel dude? Uh, He's mentioned a couple times in the scripture. He's a Pharisee, obviously. He's a celebrated doctor of the law who gave prudent advice in this case. He was respected, we see, by all the people. They all respected him, and and all means all. So not just the Pharisees, which he was a part of that sect, but also the uh, the Sadducees and the ruling class, the chief priests, they all respected this man. Respect is, uh, is hard won. This was not a political uh, partisan hack. This wasn't a guy who would say or do whatever needed to be said in order to uh, preserve his influence or increase his power. That's not who this guy was. He was principled and honored by everyone not just the people in his own party. He's also the, um, the mentor, so to speak, the rabbi who trained Paul, or Saul as he would have been known here. The apostle Paul grew in the rabbinic literature and grew in the Judaic um, traditions under this man, Gamaliel. So he was a rare leader in this time. And we see just, man, what a, what a remarkable turn of events as these... Uh, All these men, these 70 leaders in a rage, ready to kill the apostles, and they all chill out and listen to this guy, and and he speaks wisdom, and quite honestly, he speaks wisdom from the Lord. He says to them, uh, take care, be careful what you're planning to do to these men. Uh, the, The word means attend to oneself. Be a little bit introspective. Think about what's on the inside. Guard your heart. Be aware of your motives. In other words, be careful of your own hearts and your own motivations, as well as the consequences of the actions that might occur here. Gamaliel says, take care. Be careful. And then he gives two uh, examples of things that had happened in the last generation or so. They weren't super recent. Uh, otherwise, we would hear of them in the Gospels as current events, but, but they were prior to that. He says uh, that there, there were two guys, uh, Theudas and Judas of Galilee. Both men were killed and their followers scattered. Uh, both men set themselves up to be the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, they, and it says they, they said they were something, they were claiming to be somebody, but then it ended up being nothing. They made themselves out to be the Messiah, but in the end, they were not, and their followers were scattered. And just because of the context of this, there is already a contrast developing between these two examples that he's bringing up and what is going on with Jesus. Everybody knows that Jesus was killed, but also everybody knows that the disciples and the apostles are claiming that he was raised from the dead. And the disciples and the apostles and all the believers are not going away because Jesus died. 
So there's already a contrast here. He doesn't even bring that up. He just, he just lets that be what it's going to be. In fact, the disciples and apostles were probably more motivated than, and faithful than ever now that Jesus had been killed and raised from the dead. So the course of action recommended was to let it all play out. Don't intervene. Let God take care of himself or let God take care of it himself if it's not of him. Besides, if it is God, then you could inadvertently be fighting against God. And in fact, that'll be, if you're writing the title of today's message, that'll be it, fighting against God. Gamaliel acknowledges two truths right here. He says, if the movement is from humans, it will not amount to anything. Nothing permanent, nothing lasting, it will be overthrown. And the second one is, if it's God, then you won't be able to stop it. If God is one behind it, then you will not be able to overthrow them. So he essentially makes the case here, because of the contrast that's, that's going on, he makes the case that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, and the evidence was already before them. He did it in such a way that would let those who didn't agree with him remain oblivious, Kind of like Jesus did when he told parables. He would tell, tell a story illustrating a point, and if you wanted to know, if you were seeking truth, then it made sense to you, and you could understand, or you would ask the questions. But if you didn't want to know, then you could just say, well, that was a nice story, and move on, and remain oblivious. A similar thing is happening here. Being a Pharisee and a rabbi, he probably taught in a similar way. But it was clear from the way that they had handled Jesus personally um, that they did not necessarily mind being found fighting against God. The Gospels are pretty clear that especially the high priests, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah and they decided that that was not the plan they wanted. And so they fought against God. They, they put one man to death for the benefit of the people or more more uh, realistically, the benefit of the ruling class. So Gamaliel is kind of putting this before them and, and it, it just must have been the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in that room that caused the leaders in a rage to listen to him and go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. We're going to do what you recommend. Yeah. I just think it's pretty ironic that this comes from a Pharisee, right? The wisdom of God can come through really unlikely sources sometimes. Pharisees were the people that Jesus beat up on the most. Pharisees were the people that, that, uh, that had the most conflict with how Jesus approached the law and how Jesus approached living for God. And he, he called them names. I mean, it was not, not a nice relationship there. And here we have a Pharisee in the, in the ruling chamber, in the Sanhedrin, getting everybody to chill out, relax, and let these men go. In the next chapter, after the apostles are released, and, um, and after the next, the next uh, narrative, which we talked about last week, appointing the seven leaders to distribute the food and all that, 
verse 7 in chapter 6 says, the word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The priests who had heard Gamaliel, the priests who were being influenced by what was going on, even behind closed doors. Apparently, Gamaliel wasn't the only one. Or perhaps he was responsible for steering others towards Jesus. The witness of the apostles, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the hearts of these leaders was convincing them that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. So we have three things out of this passage for us today. Two of them Gamaliel mentions specifically. He says, first, human endeavors will not amount to anything permanent. If this is of men, then they will be overthrown. There will be nothing permanent or lasting. Why? Why? Well, humans are, in fact, limited. Humans, specifically just, you know, the flesh and blood of us, we're, we're kind of fragile. We're, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever run into the point where you felt like the weakness of your actual mind. Like, I am unable to comprehend something and it's frustrating me. Or I'm unable to change the way that I'm thinking and I, I've hit a limitation in who I am and I'm frustrated the, the, the older ones know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And, and it's not just the aging process, it's, it's the realization that there are limits. Yeah. <laughs> Bill has experienced this, he just doesn't remember it. Okay. As creations, as part of creation, we are made from the dust. Uh, the things we can imagine, the things we can create and invent or build or devise are also limited and fragile because... They're coming from our mind, then they just have that innate uh, limitation. Have you ever made plans and then had them smashed to pieces? Like every day. As soon as you started. Or have you had a plan that was going so well until it didn't? Right? Until you hit a snag and fell apart? Uh, there, there's any number of things that can ruin a plan or, or your idea. There's other people and their ideas. That could ruin your idea, your plan. Just, just random chance, things that don't work out. There's children, <laughs> uh, attitudes, miscommunication, uh, missed details that you didn't consider or plan for. There's the weather. We're in the Northwest. Uh, any or all of these can take your plans your best laid plans and turn it into a steaming pile of rubble very quickly. Because as part of creation, which you are, you are subject to creation. I have a garden. I didn't do a whole heck of a lot with my garden this year because I got bested in a contest and it appears that the moles are smarter than I am, or at least able to evade my traps and attempts to chase them out. So early on, as I had my garden going, um, my plants were not doing well, and I discovered that I had mole tunnels underneath all my plants. There were some that 
must have attracted the right kind of bugs or something because this, these moles were persistent in, in destroying that plant. And I know moles don't eat plants, so I mean, I, but man, instead of a place of solace and, and peace and calm and working with my hands, it was a place of rage. It was a place of impatience and frustration because I had plans for that garden and, and the dang moles didn't agree with my plans. It just didn't take much to bring my plans to nothing, is what I'm saying. Psalms 127, verse 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman Keep, keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early in order to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors. You can work hard. You can devise your plans, but if it's from a human perspective, if it's from a human imagination, then it's extremely vulnerable <laughs> and will come to nothing, as Gamaliel says. It will be overthrown. Every kingdom or nation rises and falls. All the way back through the beginning of our history accounts and and in scripture especially, we see Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon overthrown. We see Alexander's Greek empire divided and, and come to nothing after just immense amount of effort and resources put into something. Rome, and then later the Holy Roman Empire All of these were set up with the expectation that it was going to be a permanent thing. It was going to last forever. It was really well planned. Well, anyways, uh, they planned really hard for this. But it was of a human origin. And so nothing can last that way. Every style that passes by, I think especially of clothing styles, some of you were looking at my family who were all in black and blues and denim jackets. What? No, we did not coordinate that, but we ended up this morning with denim jackets and black pants. Styles are fads. They, they, they happen fast now. They, they move fast. I mean, you can, it's, you have just enough time to go, what the, and then it's gone. <laughs> It's gone. It's, it's the next thing. And I think that's a big part of why nothing human's endeavor lives forever. And, and we're short-sighted. The motivations behind why we would plan something and, uh, and seek to establish something are short-sighted. We want means to control wealth and power. Essentially, at the very core of things, we want security for ourselves and for, we want for people to remember us when we're gone. Even Matthew agrees with that one. But even, in the hist- even if the history books are kind to you, you still die and you'll be gone and no longer having the effect that you want to have. Michael Jackson, some of you are familiar with him, uh, he wanted to be immortalized. They, years after his, his uh, passing, uh, they found his journal. That's uh, for you ladies, that's a diary. Um, 
And he notes his plans to accomplish certain things in order to secure a permanent place in pop culture. He wanted to be immortalized, and he had plans and how he was going to do that. He was going to get into movies, and he was going to do this and, and that, and he had plans to earn this much more money, and, and guess what? He died. He died, and none of that happened. And even if he had accomplished that, he still would have died, and, and he would not be a permanent thing. The guys that Gamaliel mentions... Um, Theudas and, and Judas of Galilee, they wanted to be something. They wanted to be somebody. They wanted to be the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel who would be God's anointed. And, and then if you're God's anointed, then you'll never perish. They didn't understand how God was going to send the Messiah. They didn't understand any of that. They just saw the peace that they wanted to see and they ran with that, the deliverer of Israel. We do not have the power to become immortal. As much as Michael Jackson wanted to be, he couldn't be. There are certain, you know, there are names that we know years later. You know, everybody thinks of, uh, well, you could think of who you want, but Elvis or the Beatles or, or the names that I mentioned earlier that did not last. Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, uh, any of the Caesars. But they're all dead. They're all dead and, and gone. And none of them live forever, no matter what kind of plans you have. And our best efforts are meaningless in the scheme of things. We are the created. God is the creator. We don't have the power to make permanent. But we can live forever if we will go through Jesus to the Father. So establishing that, that human efforts are temporary at the very best, the second truth that we see here from Gamaliel is maybe the, the bigger one is that God cannot be stopped. God cannot be stopped. You cannot stop something if God says he's going to do it. You will not be able to overthrow them, Gamaliel says. He's talking to the guys that that killed Jesus. He's talking to the guys that, that had have been imprisoning and, and will in a moment uh, flog the, the apostles. In a little bit uh, in Acts, we see more of the, the persecution that breaks out and people that are killed. And, and, and here Gamaliel is telling them that you will not be able to overthrow them. God has purposed and planned something. And that purpose and plan will be accomplished. This is the, the big picture thing that he will not fail in. Sometimes we get pretty myopic. We, we see our, our part in this. We see the places where our life is not going well. And, you know, I, I thought that God wanted to bless me and, and, uh, and that, that my life will go well, and it will go well with me, especially if I obey my parents, right, kids? Um, little, little flashback to last week there, all right. But God's purpose and the thing that God said he will do is not make life easy for you. That's not what he said. 
That's not his purpose. That's not his goal. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to save as many people as will be saved. He created us for relationship with him, gave us free will, and so therefore some of us will choose not to. But his purpose and his goal, the reason for sending Jesus, the reason of all of biblical history and and who we know of God is his pursuit of us. His purpose, the thing that he said he will do is save his people. And that purpose will not fail. Your life may not be great, but he will save you. You may suffer incredible hardship. And, and at the end of this passage that we read today, they, they all get beat within an inch of their lives. They get flogged. They get laid out on the floor in front of the Sanhedrin and whipped until they can barely move and then sent out. And what does it say? They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. God does not promise that your life will be great. That's not what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to accomplish, and he will accomplish, the salvation of all who will call on him. And the world and Satan have been working against him and working to thwart his purpose at every turn, but he will still accomplish it. He is still accomplishing it. Like Gamaliel said, you will not be able to stop him. God does want to bless you. God does want uh, your hearts to be full of joy. But the bigger priority and the bigger picture that these things fit in is salvation for those who will turn their hearts. We read in Genesis that God blessed Abraham immensely. But it wasn't so that Abraham could be happy. In, in fact, I think looking at certain texts, you could, you could argue that Abraham wasn't necessarily a happy guy. He had plenty of trouble, but God blessed him and and used him to bless all the other nations of the earth. How's that? Because Jesus came from his lineage. Israel was supposed to walk in God's blessing in a land flowing with milk and honey. And they got into the land eventually, and then they proceeded to be genuine jackwagons. Is that okay to say? I don't even know where that word comes from, but I'm pretty sure it's not profane, so we're... That, that was church cussing? Is that what that was? But they, they were. They were real knuckleheads. Kind of reminds us of us. They actually fought God. They did. They fought God. They, they thought, they decided that they wanted something else other than what God wanted. And so you have all these terrible stories. Read Judges sometimes. Like, if you just need to feel depressed, Judges is the place to go. Judges is the place to go. Um, They suffered huge consequences, and they tried their darndest to ruin God's plan, to go in another direction. But guess what? God can't be thwarted. His purpose will prevail, and he still brought Jesus through that line of Abraham and of David. God will accomplish what he set out to do. There's nobody that can stop him. Proverbs 21 says that even the king's heart, a ruler's heart, is in the Lord's hand. 
and he can direct it like the channels of water. He turns it whenever, uh, wherever he wishes. Jeremiah 10 says that God uh, made the earth by his power. He established the world by his wisdom. And his understand, in his understanding, he has stretched out the heavens. Revelation at the end of the Bible says, uh, it, it's a, a vision that God gives John, the apostle, and it shows us a little bit about the end of time. And, and there's, you, you can spend a long time studying Revelation and, and the prophetic elements there. But in the end, what we see is God wins. He actually accomplishes his plans and his purposes. There is nobody that threatens God, that, that, that holds position or power or authority against him that would threaten his purpose. Created elements, we sure try. We sure try, but his plans and purposes will be accomplished. So the first point is that, that things coming from man, from human minds and imaginations, will not be permanent. And they will not hold weight. The second thing is that, that God cannot be stopped. And his purposes will be accomplished, Period. And the third, because I'm a preacher and we do three points. That's how we do it. Uh, I thought I could get away with two and I was well on my way to doing a two point. Never mind. Here's the third one. Uh, as we do this, um, let's prepare to pass communion. And we're going to take communion after this. The third thing is, as Gamaliel is exhorting the Sanhedrin, he says, Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get caught up pursuing your idea of things instead of God's. Don't, don't be swayed. Let God do this. You focus on what you need to do. You focus on fulfilling God's law. You focus on God himself and being in relationship. Don't get sidetracked with something less important or taken off by your own your own things go ahead and pass years ago uh, there was an article published in uh, Reuters thank you it was out of out of England um and it says a leading brain surgeon has been suspended from work following a dispute over a bowl of soup. Dr. Terence Hope was sent home from the Queen's Medical Center in Nottingham, where newspapers say there is a 39-day waiting list for brain operations after being accused of taking extra croutons without pain the hospital sources said on Monday. A consultant, here was from the hospital, a consultant was suspended following allegations surrounding his personal conduct, the hospital said in a statement. He was due to operate today on three patients. Their surgeries have been postponed. Dr. Hope, who's 57, has been working as a neurosurgeon in Nottingham for 18 years and is an expert with traumatic brain injuries. Efforts to contact him were not immediately successful. 
What? Okay. So what is really important? What's really important here? Croutons, apparently, yes. Croutons are the most important thing. Somebody's watching the budget in the cafeteria, and that's the most important thing, and that's what they're caught up on. Okay, so here's the illustration. Are croutons more important than the brain surgeries that need to happen today? No, but that's what I'm making important. That's what I see. That's, for me, that's the most important thing. Yeah, well... The kitchen probably paid a lot for this little shindig right here. Some people just don't know what is the priority, what's important. People might die waiting for brain surgeries, but no one is going to take extra croutons. Not on my watch. Uh, This is communion bread, not croutons, by the way. (laughs) Don't eat it yet. (laughs) Uh, you would think that everyone would have the right perspective that we would see the most important thing but the truth is we we definitely get sidetracked we definitely find our own priorities and uh, just like the hospital just really went off off base with this we can we can end up there very very easily Gamaliel says to the Sanhedrin don't get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in your take on this. You're going to do something that you regret. You're going to put yourself in a position where you're fighting against God. You're fighting against the plans and the purposes of God instead of helping the plans and the purposes of God. Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is God's purpose. Whatever he says is important is important. We've got to keep our perspective on the bigger picture. Seth, I'll have you join me up here. Have you ever found yourself fighting against God? There's there's a couple chuckles in the room. Have you um, ever been caught up in your own thing? Unwilling to see what God was up to unwilling to hear what God was speaking to you, or even knowing what he was saying and speaking and willingly disobeying what he was asking you to do. Like Jonah. There was no question what God wanted, (laughs) what God's purpose was, and Jonah was like, "Mm -mm. no, 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 I have other priorities, my friend. We've got to remember that that our own plans and our own efforts have nothing lasting in their nature. They are temporary at best, and anything that comes from us is temporary. We need to remember that God is eternal and unstoppable, and when he says something, it happens. When he purposes to do something, he accomplishes it, period. Nothing can stop him. And finally, we need to check our own focus, our own priorities. We need to shift our efforts from our own priorities onto God's purposes instead of our own. If we make our own the focus, we risk being found fighting against God. 
Today we come to the communion table. These are the the symbols of what God has done. The symbols of how God accomplished and is accomplishing his purpose. His purpose of drawing us to him. Every heart who will in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. The bread is a symbol of Jesus' body, the body that bore our sin, the body that took our punishment. Jesus willingly gave himself for us, taking our punishment. This is how we are able to engage the Father. This is how we are able to go into his throne room. He provided a way for us. As you hold that bread, would you take a moment and just thank the Lord for taking your punishment. Thank him for making a way. Thank him for not being thwarted in his plans to save you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. And would you take the bread with me? The cup... The juice symbolizes Jesus' blood. Blood is the symbol of life. Blood was also how covenants were made. The blood of Jesus was a symbol, is the symbol of the new covenant for us, how we relate to the Father. He says, this is the blood of the covenant. By his blood, we are cleansed. We are made pure and holy from the inside out, which is what we have to be to be in relationship with the Father. Jesus took our punishment and then he changed who we are on the inside spiritually so that we could be where we were supposed to be. Jesus poured out his blood willingly for you and I to be in relationship with the Father. Lord, we're so grateful for your blood. We're so grateful for the effect that it has on our lives. And today we take this symbol of your blood in gratitude. Would you take the cup with me? Lord, as we're studying your word, as we're hearing from from. Luke, the author, but as we're hearing from Gamaliel, it's ironic that wisdom is coming from somebody who is opposed to you or has been opposed to you. Lord, would you let these things sink into our heart? Help us be aware of when our own priorities are getting in the way of your purposes. Help us be aware of what you're doing, what you're saying. We need to grow in this. We do. We do not want to be found fighting against you. We want to be fighting for you and with you. Helping accomplish your purpose. Living in that blessing of your pleasure on our lives. Work in us today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. As you go this week, may you be full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
May his purposes and plans take center stage in your life and take the place of priority more and more in your heart as you go. In Jesus' name, amen.